Right. So that uh, music indicates that it is our final segment of the day of uh, the morning. This is TM Lab. Joining us here in the studio is Mark Zastro. Um, would you say that music is pretty sciencey and techy? Does that convey a feeling of we're going to be talking about tech and science? I'm just I don't curious. know, but I like it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, know, it's a nice it little upbeat uh, <laughs> uh, tune there. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about a couple things. Uh, as uh, usual, we're going to start on the topic of face masks. We all wear them. Uh, I think we all know now that uh, they are supposed to help us protect each other, maybe help protect others more than ourselves personally. But mm. uh, um, can you just talk about how the research has been going on trying to take them to the next level? That's right. There's a couple of different really interesting efforts around the world. Uh, One of them is at the University of Kentucky, and they're trying to build a face mask with a filter that actually kills or, like, deactivates the coronavirus that causes Mm COVID-19. So so that goes beyond, you know, what your average KF94 or N95 mask is doing because those are just filtering out the viruses in small particles. But this research is actually trying to uh, take the virus apart Uh, Of course, what makes the virus so potent is that crown that it has, all those spiky proteins on the virus that, uh, you know, helps it uh, penetrate the body's cells and and replicate. And so these researchers are actually, they're trying to create a membrane in the mask that has enzymes that attach to those spikes and actually strip them off of the virus. So it basically, you know, is is killing the virus and, and deactivating it. Now, so we should be clear that uh, this is not some super mask that we're going to be able to buy in our local pharmacy anytime soon, right? There's, there's nowhere near a product for, for the mask. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the idea is definitely getting attention. Uh, these Kentucky researchers are led by Dibakar Bhattacharya, and they just got a $150,000 grant from the U.S. National Science Foundation to try to make this into a reality. Uh, of course, it might not become a reality before this pandemic is over. But if it works, this technology could certainly be used uh, in future outbreaks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you know, the caveat is we don't, we don't know if it will actually work better than the current masks until they start producing prototypes. I mean, right. if it only kills, say, 50% of the viruses, is that going to be better than the masks that we have currently that filter 95 but don't 95%, but don't kill them, we'll have to see. Yeah, that's why you run trials and have a control group and then exactly. see what the results are, which take time. Uh, we're cu- kind of combining two stories into one here, Mark. There's another face mask, uh, mask effort from a uh, powerhouse research group in the U.S. at MIT and Harvard. They're trying to embed sensors in the mask so that they'll light up if they detect coronavirus? Yeah, that's right. So this comes from the research lab of Jim Collins, who's a leading bioengineer. And during the Ebola outbreak, actually, back in uh, 2014, his group began developing a a type of cheap sensor that could detect the Ebola virus. It's a pretty interesting technique. Basically, they create a sequence or a pattern of DNA and RNA that can bind to the virus that they're looking for. And it's this genetic sequence is designed to glow in the dark, to, to give off fluorescent light when it does. So if you see that light coming from that genetic material, that means it's found some of the virus to bind to. Now, of course, typically RNA and DNA is like pretty fragile. Mm. So it actually preserve it inside a mask that, you know, you're going to sell and it's going to sit on the shelf for a while. Yeah. Um, you, they actually freeze dry the genetic material. So just like 
freeze-drying food. It sucks all the moisture out of this of the RNA and DNA in the sensor. So then when you put the mask on and you breathe on it, uh, you actually reactivate, you know, wow. you moisturize and rehydrate the RNA and DNA. And so then it'll, you know, be searching through your spit as you, as you spit all over you, the inside of your mask, and uh, it will try to bind to and find that virus and glow. So it's a, it's a pretty neat idea. It is. Uh, again, this uh, sounds like something that uh, it's going to take some time to actually uh, get to market. Uh, first of all, how far along are they and how exactly would this be used? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this this technology actually, you know, they've shown it works in the lab already on those other viruses like Ebola virus. Mm-hmm. They've also gotten to work with the Zika virus. So according to a report from Business Insider, they are confident that they can adapt it pretty quickly to the coronavirus genetic sequence. Um, they actually think that they might be able to start producing these by the end of the summer in like probably small quantities, but to sell and distribute to the public. Um, at least that's what you know they're, they're hoping. And you know, the, as, as far as how you actually use this, you know, if you what, what you do if you actually buy one of these masks, you would wear it just like any other mask. And uh, of course, the sensor doesn't make the mask more effective in filtering anything. But the idea is that instead of a temperature check, like when you go into a building, uh, like yeah. we're used to, um, right. instead you would check the sensor on the mask that you're wearing to see if it's giving off any of that fluorescent light. Uh, it's not actually bright enough to be able to see with the naked eye. You actually mm. have to. Use a, an instrument to check if there's any of that faint light coming off of uh, off of the sensor. But if it works, then potentially that would be a better way to screen people, um, you know, to enter a building or what have you. Because of course you can be infected with the coronavirus and actually be contagious, but not yet have a fever. Right, so. and it, it's almost a de facto sort of quasi. Uh, testing system where we've been talking about the lack of tests uh, going along with the swabs and all the sources of that. Uh, It might not be foolproof, but at least you get an indication that, well, maybe you shouldn't be entering this crowded stadium or dance floor or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, very good. We're going to turn to our next story here, Mark. Uh, SpaceX announced yesterday they're planning to uh, have their next launch to the International Space Station for May 27th. This is going to be a little different. It's going to be very different, actually, because uh, this time they're going to be carrying humans. Yeah, if uh, all goes uh, as planned and all goes well, this, uh, you know, the California company SpaceX will become the first private entity in history to launch humans into orbit. Mm. So SpaceX's Dragon Crew capsule is going to be carrying two NASA astronauts, Bob Behnken and Doug Hurley. And really, you know, this has got to be the biggest launch ever for for this company, for right. Elon Musk's sure. company. Um it's a historic milestone. It's also a big deal for the United States because it means that nation now is going to finally rejoin that very, very small exclusive club of nations that can send humans into space. The others, of course, are just China and Russia. And, of course, NASA itself actually still does not have any spacecraft capable of carrying humans into space, not since they retired the space shuttle about you know almost 10 years ago now. Mm. But they have supported and funded SpaceX's development of of this spacecraft. So if it goes off successfully, that means NASA won't have to pay Russia anymore to send their astronauts to the International Space Station. Right. And it's also an example of a a private-public partnership now, uh, which, uh, as far as we know, uh, uh, is pretty unprecedented as well. But you're saying if it's successful. Uh, It seems like then this is uh, somewhat in doubt, which could be disconcerting to a lot of us. Uh, uh, SpaceX, uh, uh, we've seen some, uh, and it's become viral video, a pretty high rate of failures. Mm, Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, SpaceX, 
they do blow up a lot of rockets. And they say that that is by design because it means they learn faster. I mean, they, they design them to have a high failure rate so that they can learn how to make better rockets. And of course, yeah, you've probably seen all the times that they tried to land a rocket on a drone ship or a, a landing pad, you know, coming back to Earth, landing upright. Um, and all the times that it just totally failed and blew up. They're very open about the fact that they expect to fail a lot. Mm. Um, and, you know, now those landings uh, that they do are routine on, yeah. those, on those ships at sea. So uh, it is something that, that has worked for them before. Um, obviously, they've tested this rocket and this capsule before as well. And they have had a couple of failures. Um, a couple of these rockets blew up in 2015 and 2016. Uh, one of them was during flight, and then another one was a fueling accident. It blew, uh, blew up on the pad uh, before it ever launched. And uh, actually, last year, so the actual capsule, the spacecraft part of it that carries the humans, mm. that also blew up during an abort test. But they did complete one successful, you know, totally successful uh, on-crewed flight last year where this combination flew to the International Space Station and it docked on its own successfully. Of course, there is always a possibility that something could go wrong, especially in space flight. It's just, uh, you know, this is a, a big hold your breath moment. Yeah, it space, is. you know, space flight. It's become so routine that sometimes we forget how incredible and so and, and how hard the entire endeavor can be. Yeah, you can be sure a lot of people will be uh, watching this online and uh, hoping for the best. Absolutely. All right, Mark. Uh, uh, some bad news. I believe uh, you are going to be uh, leaving the the country soon. Uh, this is true. Yes. When are you leaving? Uh, around the end of the month, yeah, I'm taking up a new position um, at an astronomy magazine okay. in the U.S. And we get a, a chance to speak with you one more time? Um, no, this is it. This is the last but time. I'm not, you know, never say never. Never say never, but uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much uh, for everything, albeit a, a short time, and uh, hope to see you again soon. Thanks very much, Henry. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for us uh, today. Uh, coming up next, we have our special COVID-19 live updates, so stay tuned for that. Uh, this has been Henry Shin. I'll see you again tomorrow at 7 a.m. Goodbye.